think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 105 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 106th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. Sorry, I was drinking beer. Uh, All Mason Rainville. Very good. That was, really that was an example timing. for the working man here. You started at the worst possible time. Yes. Well, I, th- I told you like three times. I'm going. All right, whatever. Let's get started. Um, so it's been a k- kind of eventful couple weeks since we last recorded, but it's sort of stuff that's still kind of moving. So the AstraZeneca vaccine was approved, which is, is good news for everyone involved, uh, namely everyone. Um, and there's been some brouhaha about... Uh, vaccine dose timing between uh, the bc government and the federal government and a little bit of uh, contretemps about the um whether it's good for people over uh 18 or sorry, over 65 not over 18 uh though it's actually interesting and this is something that hasn't really been covered is that uh none of these vaccines are actually approved for kids it has, uh, it has been <laughs> so covered. like have a lot there of unvaccinated children discussion of that and trust me there's um, been s- members of my family who have young children are very keenly aware of that yes. being the state of play. Um, I, I would just say that it is not something you hear about on the sort of standard political discourse channels that most people are sure. tuned into. It, I would agree that it, like, it just doesn't... No one has asked the Prime Minister about this, I don't think, in my uh, many months of assiduously watching most of his press conferences. I, anyway, all that to say... A lot of things kind of in motion, uh, but not much that we really have a, a, a big value add angle to as as people who are, you know, former and current political practitioners, etc. Um, so in that case, we'll shelve them for now and uh, talk about two kind of funny things that uh, we think are, are worth a bit of a deep dive. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, well, I don't even remember when anymore. Time is a is really a fluid concept. <laughs> uh, the government tabled C twenty one, which was its uh, its firearms bill. Uh, which the firearms people, as listeners of this show who have listened to our entire entire run and our episode with uh, with Mark Johnson about uh, the last liberal firearms gun bill, people who like guns are really into it as a hobby and lifestyle, and they know the rules uh, back to front. Uh, and there are a lot of rules, uh, and they know all of them. Uh, so great episode, highly recommend listening to it. Uh, but I wanted to talk today about one thing in particular that has actually been a huge side issue, really, that has come up. I guess it's not a side issue if you're someone who's affected by it. But the new bill, uh, well, actually, Etienne, I will let you, I, I will give you a little bit of a, a lead in here and say that Etienne, uh, in his uh, in his youth, was a practitioner of the noble art of airsofting. No, that's actually wrong. Uh, Paintball. Paintball. Paintballing, sorry, yes. Um, which, of course, are differentiated uh, between shooting a, I think in paintball it's a 68 caliber, don't quote me on that, I haven't done it in a while, uh, 68 caliber sort of rubber paint concoction, um, where Airsoft shoots, I want to say like a 5 or a 6 gram plastic, um, you could call it a ball bearing, um, or a pellet, some, something yeah. along those lines. Um, so just to back up, C-51 does a lot of stuff around firearms. We're not going to talk about... Or C-21. C-21. Professional instinct over there. C-21 does a bunch of stuff around firearms. Um, the timing around... I'm always skeptical of liberal uh, firearms legislation timing because it always seems to come when there is a... Uh, 
an election on the horizon and it can appear very cynical at times um the element that we're really going to focus on is c21 because i don't know we've we've taken particular interest in it because of in some regards how inexplicable it is well with one one thing in particular which is that historically uh let's just run through the the restrictions as they currently exist currently if you have an object that looks like a real gun that is in production uh and is one of the the newly actually it's any gun um if you have that and it's a paperweight, that is an illegal replica firearm and you, it is illegal to own it. If you have a, you know, something that looks like, once again, a, a prohibited firearm of any kind, uh, with, you know, an AK-47, an assault rifle 15, <laughs> uh, any one of those things. <laughs> um, and it shoots uh, stuff over uh 500 feet per se- or yeah 500 feet per second then it is a firearm and you either have to register it or it's just illegal as a firearm and not as a replica if you have something that fires that looks exactly like a real world firearm and fires projectiles between 350 and 500 feet per second uh that is a perfectly legal airsoft gun uh so once again if you're under 350 or if it doesn't shoot at all it's a it's a replica and it's thus illegal if it shoots over 500 feet per second, it's a, a firearm at that point and would need to be registered or it would be an illegal, like illegal. Uh, and if it's in that little 350 to 500 feet per second box, then it is a perfectly legal airsoft gun, no matter if it looks like a, a real world so gun So if, if your inclination here is to think, boy, this is ridiculous, um, it's because a lot of firearms... like. A lot of the firearm legislation is very technical in nature, and it's very hard for uh, policymakers to carve out the exceptions that they're looking for. Um, It's very hard to grandfather things in. It's very hard to rationalize why one thing should be banned versus another thing. There have been, you know, debates as to whether or not appearance should be one of the factors on which guns are classified, or if it should just be, like, strict physical parameters barrel length, caliber, whatever it is. Um, but some like to, to give a ridiculous example um, and one that is given in, you know, by firearms lawyers in Canada is that it's illegal to have a plastic replica of a nail gun or of a t-shirt gun, but the nail gun or t-shirt gun is not illegal. It is merely a plastic replica of those guns, which invokes the replica clauses of the law. Uh, which, you know, yeah. you would be right to say that doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. It doesn't. So actually, C-21 fixes that, uh, but in so doing, well, not really in so doing, but in, in adjacent provisions, also gets rid of the sort of legal middle space uh, where airsoft guns exist. So under the new bill, uh, airsoft guns as they currently exist, and critically, airsoft guns that... L- it's, it really is specifically airsoft guns that look like real-world guns uh, will no longer be per- so, permitted. So, yeah, let's let's talk about airsoft for a minute now. So, airsoft, um, as alluded to, is a sport. Um, it's a quite a popular sport, particularly in rural areas. You go out in the woods with your buddies, um, depending on what type of airsoft you're doing. A lot of it is like military simulation. Uh, and you shoot yeah. plastic pellets at each other and, you know, play capture the flag, whatever it is. And these guns cost thousands of dollars. Um, 
you know, many of them are more expensive than actual firearms. That definitely definitely sounds like the, the high end at the thousands. I, I did a cursory run through of, uh, of an airsoft shop when I was uh, researching this. It and depends. I, I, it depends usually what the you're looking several for. Hundred. It depends what you're looking for. It's yes, the same usually in the paintball. several hundred. You, know, you go to Walmart, you're picking up sure. a pump action $95 thing. Um, but in the high end, people are, you know, buying airsoft grenades. Sure. They are decking themselves out in camo. They have scopes. Tactical airsoft have, knife. Well, you joke, but there are there are airsoft <laughs> grenades. Um, there are all sorts of things. People use real smoke bombs um, when they're engaging in airsoft. Like, it is full-out military simulation. And even uh, military and police use airsoft in their own training. So it is basically as close to the real thing as you can get. What that means is that airsoft is sort of disproportionately targeted, particularly over paintball, because your paintball gun, because of the nature of paintball, uh, you're using they can't using really look CO2. yeah they can't really some, look the same. Some guns do. Yeah, there are ones that do look pretty alike to real uh, firearms, but it's not as much the case. So that's why airsoft is really the emphasis here. And in recent years, airsoft has grown more popular. Um, I would say than paintball in part because uh, broadly the guns are more accurate. Um, you can shoot further things along those lines. So you have airsoft, you have this hobby that's popular, particularly in rural areas all over Canada. And all of a sudden with the stroke of a pen, well, with this legislation, a huge amount of those uh, devices, toys, guns, let's call them guns. In paintball, they're called markers I, instead of calling them guns. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's an equivalent term in airsoft. Um, so those are made illegal and basically must be surrendered to the federal government. You know, there are a few problems with this. One, you're taking like sort of arbitrarily changing an entire sport overnight um, to which there are numerous hobby shops with inventory and all of these other things that are basically just being made illegal. Um, at least this time it's via legislation, which is better than sort of the last changes they made on the Firearm Act, which was via regulation, which there it truly was overnight. Yeah. Or no, it was via order and council. It wasn't even via well, regulation. Yes. Like, um, yeah. Um, important. Like, yeah. Meaningful, but not that important distinction sure. in this case. Um, yeah. So you have a lot of outcry on the Airsoft forums um and just all across the country in newspapers about these oh and if you're like airsoft. i'm sure many many people yeah we we have a lot of, of people listening to this podcast who are, are hill or hill adjacent people and i i am sure you have heard from uh if you work in an mp's office i'm sure you have heard from constituents uh very very angry about yeah this. i mean every small town like you drive through rural areas and airsoft or paintball courses are on you know, they, they've become a staple and they're on the outskirts of basically every town. Um, we've gone to a paintball course just outside of Ottawa that also dabbled in airsoft. Um, so what's what's interesting about the, this though, in addition to sort of destroying the sport of airsoft is some of the technical elements around the workarounds or the loopholes, which will continue to exist under this legislation um, and sort of what they mean and what this changes. Let's back up a tiny bit. The problem the government is trying to solve here with this legislation, particularly the legislation that impacts airsoft guns, is largely the question of replicas. So once upon a time, yeah. in another life, 
Um, we, when I was in the minister's office of public safety, there were times when we would talk to frontline RCMP officers. I distinctly remember um, one instance where we were sitting around and a whole bunch of frontline officers, we were there for sort of a morning briefing for the officers um, where they were talking about what they were going to do for the day and that sort of thing. And then they had an opportunity to speak to the minister for a few minutes and sort of impart the frontline's concerns. And the number one thing I remember from that is them bringing out replicas from a safe somewhere and saying, we are very concerned about these. And they were just plastic firearms looking things that did not have the blaze orange nose on them that, you know, most people associate with like cap guns and things like that from the dollar store. And the issue in the field becomes someone is seen walking down the street with one of these things. Um, someone calls the police. Uh, the police arrive as if it is a scenario of an active shooter or what have you. Um, and they thus are prepared to use deadly force in a situation in which uh, deadly force probably likely isn't warranted. And so there's this mismatch um, and it creates more calls and it creates more danger and more hazards and liability and all of these other things. Yeah. Pe people have also raised the, the prospect of people robbing places but, using uh, airsoft weapons. That, that's you know, sort of. But there are criminal provisions already around that. That's that, exactly so it's, right. It's not where like it's a, really yeah. a challenge. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's something you hear a lot. As where part it's a of challenge with airsoft problem. guns. Most people don't walk around their town with airsoft guns. People recognize that this is one of the challenges of airsoft guns. A lot of people have cases for the airsoft guns. So generally, you drive to uh, your field and then you engage in airsoft in this environment where everyone expects you to have airsoft guns and then you drive home and you store it at home. You're not wandering around your neighborhood with the airsoft gun, right? Like that is obviously bad. Op open in, carrying In rural areas, and this was my experience, is we would drive to uh, the snow dump, um, walk out from our cars that we parked on the snow dump on the side of a highway um, with our paintball guns and then we would walk into the woods behind and sort of play on public or like crown lands i don't know how advisable that is these days um but that's certainly what we did and we never had any issues and i'm 100 sure that still exists but my question really is in terms of shutting down basically the entire sport of airsoft how many calls a year what's the evidence that this is an uh an issue of sufficient magnitude yeah. around airsoft guns in particular um rather than replicas that people are willfully misusing or willfully using to you know get into trouble or what yeah. have you right uh, yeah i mean i don't know but i would imagine it's not a huge number i would i would also um i would also say that there's also i mean canada of course if, if you've watched any american tv show uh you know that canada is a prolific film industry and that we are often stand-ins for different parts of the states and that lots of stuff gets filmed up here a lot of tv shows also you and, and movies and whatnot also use uh have, have guns in them because they're about you know cops or crime or what have you uh and it turns out actually that a lot of film sets uh use like their prop guns are airsoft because that that is what's illegal because you literally cannot have something that looks like a real gun but does not fire because that's an illegal replica so you have to have something like an airsoft gun which is capable of firing a, a plastic pellet at 350 to 500 feet per second uh, 
Though, uh, Etienne and I were doing some research on this just because, I don't know, we, we love a good rabbit hole sometimes of, of, like, weird regulatory stuff like this, and we really did a deep dive. And apparently what, like, some film, uh, like, supply companies will do is make guns that look sort of like real guns, but aren't. Like, I believe Etienne had found one that looked like a sort of Smith & Wesson revolver, like, with the snub nose, but, like kind of did but had the serial numbers filed off it's metaphorically that's the other uh, part of this because i think it's really important when we're talking about like what problem is this going to solve for and like what's the workaround and the workaround in replica is about the definition of what constitutes a replica um so right now the airsoft gun that is uh let's say all black and looks like an m15 is going to be illegal the one that is a combination of two guns that is just made up by, you know, defined by how the plastic is molding, molded is not going to be illegal. Yeah. It looks like the... But it's... Yeah, or it looks like the needler from Halo. Well, the needler is less of a useful example because <laughs> the problems presented by that fire by that firearm, I'm using bonnet, uh, rabbit ears or scare quotes or whatever the hell we want to call them, um, are still going to be present. Is someone walking on the side of a highway with a airsoft gun that looks like a gun to a layperson, but has a different grip than a gun or than a firearm in actual manufacture? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, um, is going to be permissible. People who don't know guns because it's hard to make yeah. molded, like broadly molded plastic in an L shape illegal. So it all leans on replica. Um, so the workaround is yes. make something that looks like a firearm, but is not a technical replica of a model in existence, right? Yes, but let's say you, let's say you're me and you 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 know you only really know your your various firearms through through video games, and you know you couldn't really tell them apart if you saw them on the street. Well, you know, hopefully you don't see them on the street. But uh, like, it, if someone was like, oh yeah, it's not actually a replica of the uh, of the AR-15 or what have you. It it has this this and this change like. Would a layperson really be able to tell the difference? No, absolutely no, not. And not, not. Not from a distance. I, I don't think. Nor, nor <laughs> a police officer is going to be able to tell the difference. Like, we can put up an example of, like, the snub-nosed pistol that no one's like, ah, oh, but Smith & Weston did not make guns in that exact style. Like, the differences are so negligible um, as to be inconsequential yeah. in solving any of these problems. So it becomes, it becomes an issue yes. for so, airsoft manufacturers because now you have to make you know, different markers or firearms for the Canadian market that just don't look like it. Everyone in the airsoft market um, basically gets their guns made illegal and has to buy new guns that look marginally different. Um, and then I yes. don't know what the plan is and for is it, the film and The industry. critical question for me is, is anyone is anyone made safer by that, right? Like, and I think the answer is probably not. No, I, I and that's the problem, right? Is that yes? I mean, this is the thing where people with with firearms, right? And like, I I understand this. I you know, like I I've worked for you know someone who represents a rural area, so like I get it. I get the reality that you know in in large parts of Canada, like firearms, it's a part of a way of life, and I have nothing against that. I also think that like don't, don't believe when it comes to, wants the... to come take your guns. <laughs> when it when it comes to the stuff that is really like quite you know like this the ar-15s of the world you know i i i have a tougher time because 
one part of me says, you know, it's a hobby. What what can you do? You know, it's not every hobby that someone has a bad day and decides to, you know, go for a bit of a rip. Um, and that I can see as a legitimate, you know, harm that you'd want to avoid. With an airsoft gun, the damage you can do is pretty limited. So in that sense, I just, I don't see what harm is prevented. Especially uh, when the via, harm that you're talking about has a very obvious and easy workaround um, that negates the benefit of it entirely. That negates any potential benefit to doing this. In exchange for that, you are yes. absolutely demolishing a ton of small businesses across the country, um, as well as you know all sorts of people's investment into a very legitimate, um, a very legitimate hobby. And so, it's one of these things where if you thought it through a little longer, you'd realize that like maybe it's worth it to carve out the airsoft community in some way, which ostensibly has has. And, and to be honest, done. I suspect this will. Yeah, I suspect this will not go through unamended uh, in that respect. I think uh, the, the community has made itself uh, very loudly heard. Uh, Which is so. interesting because we do have a minority parliament, right? But this type of legislation in a majority, I think, would like... like it depends how, how uh, unwilling to compromise the government is. Often governments do not like to acknowledge yeah. the problem. Um, it would be very interesting to ATIP any uh, considerations around airsoft um at public safety rcmp well you, you I, I like how this is you just telling well, me you or someone else or anyone out there <laughs> encourage people to hold their own government accountable um i mean you're never going to get back stuff from the rcmp and to a certain extent rcmp is probably less consequential because they they probably weighed in in terms of writing the legislation but the pen was probably held by public safety um who good news and bad news Good news is they have probably better uh, ATIP response rates than the RCMP. Um, bad news is they are one of the few departments where I believe you still have to send a $5 check in person and can't pay online. No? I don't believe so anymore. That was the case as of the uh, immigration citizenship uh, immigration citizenship pilot, but is now uh, available through the oh, new man. portal. Oh, okay. Believe, news so. to me. Oh, I mean, yeah, the, so we sort of had the stage one, which was all paper, the stage two, which was the immigration and citizenship pilot, and because I guess they're just used to processing small payments, and then there was, um, yeah, the new the new system, which I believe includes public safety. I, I've submitted okay. requests then, before. I mean, I haven't done so, it. I haven't submitted yeah. a. I've submitted very few ATIP requests in my life. Um, I've submitted yes, hundreds. You are. I, I've only, you know, <laughs> I recently, I will, uh, I will give plaudits to uh, RCMP recently responded to one of the only ATIP requests that I ever made. And I think I made it four years ago. Um, so I was, I was very naive because I was working with a, uh, I think a several month time span when I was hoping to get back the response for the work that I was doing at the time. And uh, folks, let me tell you, it did not come um remotely promptly and it did not include anything remotely of value or interest so i am incredibly cynical about that process um you're not alone you are not is alone. there any ground we haven't covered <laughs> on sort of the airsoft side on the airsoft thing politically i think it's interesting um, because it helps i mean the, the backfire effect of this um and if you'd gone to like the airsoft yeah. forums or the airsoft subreddit 
was the firearms groups basically recruiting members uh, via the airsoft community to sort of unite in their advocacy. Um, there, to my knowledge, is not like a Canadian airsoft association. Um, it tends to be a very, uh, you know, mom and pop shop level um, business. Well, I mean, historically, they have faced no real regulation. That's right? it, right? So, like, there hasn't really been a need for any kind of political regulation. Um, but, so, what you have yeah. in these communities is you have basically the shop owners who become, who need to band together to hire a lobbyist or what have you, or throw their hat in with the firearms folks um, in order to get... Which it, which is what's happened here. The, the CCFR, which is the... Canadian I Coalition the for Firearms for. Rights, if I were to guess. Right. I believe that's correct. Uh, actually did like a lot of organization around this, uh, which is, I'm sure, very good for them. So, uh, which, there you go. which, again, I should point out, like sort of backfires to the Liberals' intention of like, if the Liberals had thought it through a little more... Targeting yeah. a basically inert group, <laughs> they have intensely politicized a group of fundamentally quite exactly. apolitical people. <laughs> small, small businesses. Yes, and not not a yeah, great put, outcome. Put a huge like a huge community in the hands of uh, the group that they are trying to actively combat. Um, so yes, really, so not a, not really a big win for them. Out. Um, what else is on our agenda? Uh, well, I want to talk about one other thing, which is I I think a very interesting miss by uh, an arm of the government. Uh, so last year, obviously, we had a well, and obviously still going, but last year we entered into the the pandemic zone, uh, which has not been fun. Um, but one silver lining for uh, for many folks who are not homeowners was that the CMHC came out and said, "Hey, folks." Up to 18% decline in home prices. Evan Siddle, the CEO of the uh, of the CMHC, came out there, guns blazing, airsoft blazing, <laughs> and uh, yeah, said, said that uh, in a report and in an accompanying infographic to the report. And obviously that is not what happened. So I, I don't know if I've mentioned you this on the show. Fact. I don't believe I have. Uh I don't, yeah, uh, I my, my well actually, and the the most recent news obviously not because it happened yesterday. But my partner and I just bought a home. It's great. Uh, Welcome to the homeowners club. Uh, but indeed, the the market is not has not gone down eighteen percent. I would say uh, is it, something that's been <laughs> observed by uh, by many many casual observers. In fact, it's gone up a lot. Uh, I'm actually looking at some numbers. Um, from uh, from today, in fact, they're they're fresh numbers, uh, and they've actually yeah. So let's let's take the the year like like month to like month sort of thing. Uh, February's average sale price for condominium class property was four hundred seven thousand dollars, an increase of seventeen percent from last year. While the average price sale price of a residential class property, so you know detached etc. home. 717 an increase of 27 percent so is this ottawa ago. specific or uh, nationally this is ottawa specific yes or yes it is uh but all that to say ottawa not typically like the epicenter of, of real estate activity vancouver and toronto get a lot more attention for that all that to say uh prices did not go down uh the cmhc has a pretty wide suite of things it does uh its mandate is to sort of like do housing affordability generally speaking 
and I think it's bad that they missed a generational call by like an order of magnitude in the wrong direction. Uh, and that there's been no real accountability for that or anything. It's kind of just like business as usual over there. Uh, and like I'm Evan Siddle is an interesting guy with an interesting background. There have been some profiles of him where I've been like, Oh, that's, he's saying some interesting things. And I still think that's true. He's clearly a smart guy, but like I, they did not set themselves up for success on that one. And, uh, it was very telling to me that he, he, and this, this is the impetus for this is he had a Twitter thread the other day, uh, talking about how, you know, Hey, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a little bit of flack for this. And let me tell you why it's unfair. And let me just pull some of this up. Uh, so, da, 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 thread. Oh, I've been, I, I was going to say, go ahead. I, th I think it's worth giving uh, a little more context on who Evan Sadal is. Um, just because of sure. how he fits into the Ottawa ecosystem is actually pretty unique. Um, yeah, he has a unique so he's perch. A form, think, so he's at CMHC, which is the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corp. Um, which is a government department that you will be most familiar with if you're, you won't be familiar with them at all if you've never purchased a home. Um, but if you have purchased a home, the number one thing you'll be familiar with is uh, clearing the threshold, whether or not you go above or uh, below 20%, um, which is the threshold for CMHC insurance. And that is more on your down payment. On your, on yes, your down on, payment, on your just down to be clear payment. to um, So if you... Yes put a down payment of greater than 20%, you have a uh, a mortgage that is not insured by CMHC. Um, so it's actually considered a riskier mortgage than one insured by CMHC because that's backstopped by the federal government and you get a slightly higher interest rate, um, but you don't have to pay a premium for CMHC's insurance. So there's a whole history to CMHC that I'm gonna gloss over here. If you're really interested in it, look into it. Um, but broadly, this is sort of the only thing most people know about it as as sort of a arm's length uh, agency of the federal department. Yeah, and or like in, in our in, in sort of our political neck of the woods there, if you're a sort of organization or nonprofit that does, you know, provision of affordable housing, they do a lot of funding of affordable housing projects. Yes. And I mean, kinds. if you'll remember uh, Michael Chong's campaign, one of his first announcements was about how he would uh, rework CMHC um to <laughs> i don't think anyone great, remembers that i'm not, not sure michael john remembers that <laughs> um so evan sadal is was an interesting pick at the time if i'm not mistaken he was appointed by the harper government and he's a goldman sachs guy um sort of through and through and then he took not not usually a hotbed of uh of progressive no and so he took a kind. role or he took the role as chief of cmhc and it's not the world's longest uh, term appointment. I I don't remember how many years he's been there now. Uh, five or so? Five or six? Well, I mean, if he was appointed by the Harper uh, government. Oh, God damn it. I'm going to have to Wikipedia this. Forcibly, forcibly six. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yes, I will Google that as we speak here. Um, assumed office 2014. So there's your answer. Uh, which there you makes go. it a seven-year appointment, uh, give or take. Yeah, um, which is one right. of the yes, which is one of the potential lengths of a G, uh, GIC appointment. Um, but he, his term is actually coming to an end. Um, but during his time, he has distinguished himself basically by breaking away from the side of the housing industry um, 
that wants to sell houses, build houses, all of that. And he's been a big proponent yeah. of renting and renting as the future of sort of the Canadian experience, sort of a European model. And he's been yeah. very um, outspoken in this opinion. And so he's become a bit of an activist um, in that role, which is not something you see a lot from sort of deputy minister um, level officials or equivalents in yeah. Ottawa. Um, so he's been very unique in that regard and has gar garnered a lot of attention. The downside of that is that when you are putting yourself in that role of a very activist sort of CEO role, you had better know your stuff and you had better deliver, which is why... Yeah. So at one point he was sort of the whispered name as potentially becoming uh, head of the infrastructure bank. That didn't seem to happen. And now he seems to be going sort of softly into the night. Um, his replacement has been leaked i guess as of yesterday romy bowers who is uh oh i didn't see that a lady i know absolutely nothing about and haven't looked into yet um but that's to say when the decision around uh publishing the information sort of early covid he published it as a taunt to sort of the industry he said like if you have better analysis, I can't remember quite how. Are you putting uh, it here? Up? Yeah. Okay, let me ahead. read the quote. Yeah. Please question the motivation of anyone who wants you to believe that prices will go up. Yes, up. With our economy in slow motion, oil being given away, millions of Canadians on income support, and a greater percentage of mortgages not being paid than we've seen since the Great Depression. May 27th, 2020. Yeah, God, that hurts. And so the the banner headline yeah. from that was the eighteen percent drop, as you mentioned. Um, it's gone the exact opposite direction. Um, <laughs> and in the justification in his Twitter thread, he basically bl said, "You know, CMHC is not a crystal ball. We just happen to have the best data." and access to the best data of literally everyone in Canada. Um, but we don't have perfect yeah. data. Um, but we got it. You know, I, I don't think the admission was perhaps quite as uh, uh, fulsome as, or the apology uh, was quite as fulsome as it should No, be. and I, I think one thing, for, for instance, that he singles out is uh, our publication noted reservations and caveats and described the minus 18 case, 18% 18 case as a highly unlikely worst case, which critics focused on. And then you go back and you look at the, the infographic they tweeted at the time. Up to <laughs> it's, 18%, it's just like, right? We, we, looked at, we looked at the recent financial and economic developments in Canada, including the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Check out the national highlights on the housing market and learn more in the full report. And then it's just a picture of a house. <laughs> and then it says up to minus 18 percent in home prices and then they wonder why people they wonder why people seized on that number yeah which is incredibly <laughs> disingenuous come on um so i remember getting a email from my real estate no not my real estate uh my mortgage broker so i get these like quarterly emails from him um that are interesting because it's a mortgage broker's perspective on the market. And he actually points the finger at CMHC for a lot of the like issues in the summer um, around the real estate market, talking about like banks being unprepared for the uh, mortgage pressure they were facing. That is the amount of people taking out mortgages um, and the capacity to 
sort of administer new mortgages because of the CMHC predictions, because they were so pessimistic. And so, like, mm-hmm. at the superficial level, it's easy to look at CMHC and be like, you know, CMHC was sitting there in March or April, said, everything is going to hell. We need a number that says, like, how bad the economy is going to crater. Um, but yeah. now we have the luxury of knowing that it's the economy sort of has been bifurcated by this, that the high income uh portion yeah. of the economy the K-shaped recovery. has not been remotely as impacted as the lower uh, sort of service industry side of the eco- economy. And the result of this has been that higher in- uh, higher sort of income individuals well, and, are and the- better off in some parts because of sort of yeah. the savings. I can't remember quite how Christia Freeland put it, but there's been a lot of reference to the amount of uh, saving that uh, some households have been able to do through this time. And super low interest rates, it must at, be said. At the same time as historically low interest rates. Um, and yeah. on the flip side of that, of course, is those in the more impacted industries, be it tourism, airlines, you know, the service sector broadly. Um, those people have obviously faced an incredibly hard go of it. So you've had really a fork in the yeah. road and CMHC was, was nowhere close to, you know, remotely close to thinking about the K-shape. Yeah. Um, which, which is a problem, right? No. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that there has not really been a push for political accountability for that at any level. Because I mean, maybe uh, that's why he's not head of the I, Infrastructure I will take myself Bank today. A, I will take myself as an example here. Maybe that's why Sorry. he's not the head of the Infrastructure Bank today. So... Perhaps. I mean, certainly taking myself as an example, I remember looking at, at those sort of set of predictions and being like, okay, well, I, this obviously is not, not a great time right now. I'll wait a bit. And uh, like I've been saying to, and Etienne's heard me say this a million times over the last couple of months, if I had a time machine, I would I would go back to last summer and, and just force myself to <laughs> purchase a home at that time. Uh, because, yes, it has been uh, not, not nice. Uh, but, yes, all that to say... Uh, very interested that that's been and if there's been allusions to basically like the housing market is like the engine of our economy right now which i think is plainly unsustainable because it's not an industry where people are, are making things really or, or selling people things or developing new ideas about things or any of the things that we tr- usually associate with economic growth um so it would be good if we had a little bit more clarity about what the cvc is thinking about things and uh, how they're coming to those conclusions and uh yeah, people don't get left high and dry. Because, uh, yeah, not good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the only thing I can add to that, really, is uh, whenever housing policy comes up as a conversation, it's really interesting because there are those who basically say, we need to not do anything to uh, heat up the market. Like, Anything that potentially adds more buyers to the uh, to the housing pool is horrible, and it should not be done. Um, and then there are those who are proponents of measures of, you know, how do we get millennials into houses? What measures can we put forward? And and historically, that's yeah. sort of the path the government has followed. Um, it introduced the I don't even remember what it was called the equity co-purchase whatever it was where they bought something like 10% of the house with you up to a certain amount 
And a lot of people turn and look at them and say, what are you doing? You're only going to heat up the housing market. But there's sort of this intractable, pro intractable problem in the housing market of there is not, there is so much invested in it that it becomes sort of this runaway. Yes, it, that's the thing. It's the, it's the most powerful political block in the country bar none as homeowners uh, because they, they all own the same kind of asset. And if you do anything to adversely affect the value of that asset you are going to uh not win the next federal election uh like it, tangibly you know if there were some kind of crash in housing prices and the federal government's reaction was to say well too bad uh that government would not be re-elected i think it's probably well, fair yes, to say but uh like you can look you can look you can look down south for this and uh watching the democrats get creamed in the 2010 midterms uh, I think had a lot to do with their decision to prioritize bailing out the financial sector over ensuring that uh, homeowners were not too adversely impacted by policies which they did not so really we're talking formulate, about Mexico? But, you know, got houses through. We're talking about Mexico? Because that, that's the only country, that, that's the only I'm not country even touch that, that I can think of. Oh yes, because we ignored the other one, right? I forgot. Uh, but all that to say, Panama? enormous political it, opportunity cost you nothing. Talking, you would never get away which, with it. Which country are you describing? Um, oh, uh, Chile. Nice. I, I wasn't aware of that facet yeah. of their housing policy. There you go. A little, little fun fact for you. Um, but yes, uh, it's it's tough because, yeah, the sort of political economy of our country is such that the housing... The homeowners are incredibly powerful because there are so many of them and they are so highly invested into it. And, you know young people are sort of brought up with the idea that it's like that's that's the normal thing you do uh you know, so yes it is it's is tough tough not to crack i think there you know i think for instance what bc did in sort of curbing the sort of like frothier parts of the investment market were probably good moves that more jurisdictions should look at um but yes, it's definitely, it's tough to to do that without, and obviously in a, the other half of this is supply, right? Which you haven't talked yes, about. Yes, now we're getting into uh, a, a I, municipal I think both of us have strong thoughts podcast, on supply. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we could talk about, we could certainly do an Ottawa municipal politics podcast, but I don't think anyone really wants to hear that. So we will, we will leave that there and say uh, municipalities and provinces could be doing a lot more on the supply front as well. Uh, and that's certainly, that would help. Um, yeah, okay. We can, we can leave the real estate conversation there. Um, you know, it, it hopefully I never have to think about it again. Absolutely fascinating policy area from the local government. Like my community or my uh, neighborhood is being, uh, <laughs> it's going to be eradicated or, it is, uh, <laughs> or the planning, the zoning is under review by the city in Ottawa and you know, I'm getting yeah. stopped on the side of the road by neighbors who are interrogating me about whether or not I'm submitting um, to the consultation what I'm going to submit. I'm getting flyers put in the mailbox. It's sort of the peak nimbyism um, in the back of my mind. I'm like, yes, yes, rezone my my street, <laughs> rezone my house because yes, give me a giant giant uh, windfall at the stroke of a pen. <laughs> you know, if you make this into a, an apartment block, I I wouldn't be terribly upset as long as I can extract maximum value for it. So there you go. Now you're thinking like a real real uh, entrepreneur. Alas, um, alas indeed. Okay. Any any closing thoughts? So I mean. 
I will close on this, which is just a meta observation um, about the podcast and where it is. So we haven't recorded in, I think, 18 days or so. I'm looking forward to getting out of COVID. Um, COVID has made this very difficult to um, sort of have fresh content because so much of the political energy and political stories are all centric to COVID. And by and large, we are not the COVID podcast. We are not epidemiologists. We've been trying to the best of our ability to largely avoid that conversation. Um, large, Well, yeah, we, we have. <laughs> We've had a lot of We've conversations some about high-level <laughs> discussions, but we haven't really, you know, gone into the weeds of COVID stuff. And I think rightfully so. I think there are better people you could hear from. Um, they probably don't have podcasts in Canada, but I'm sure you can find some maybe in countries down to the south of, uh, of us. Um, so, I mean, that's that's just sort of Argentina, my explanation for why one. we're not recording as frequently. Like there are, the legislative uh, calendar has been moving sort of begrudgingly. There isn't a ton of interesting legislation to talk yes. about. Um, it's... Yeah, fundamentally, the problem is is of a of a discourse monopoly around COVID. I, I I saw one tweet in in like March that was incredibly prescient, which is that walking around anywhere feels like you're in like a village from a JRPG where you talk to anybody and they're like, "Hmm, have you heard about the plague? How terrible!" <laughs> and it's just like that's just like that's the bandwidth. Everyone is on the plague all the time. Um, so it certainly is, uh, like, I, for instance, right before this episode, we talked for a good half hour or so about, like, what we were going to talk about, and it's kind of like, we don't really have enough to say about that, we don't really have enough to say about that, we don't really have enough to say about that. And yes, yeah, because COVID is, uh, it's taking up all the air, folks, uh, not just from our lungs, also the discourse, uh, and that's regrettable. So there you go. <laughs> it's a respiratory disease, folks. It's so not with good. that, I mean, it. I'm happy to leave it there at the shortest episode we have recorded in, uh years probably in a while maybe yeah, ever I, mean, I don't, I don't at, know it depends uh, how long we four, keep we're at 45 we used to do we used to do episodes this short when we were starting out when we were just young, young hungry podcasters instead of the, the established fur fur clad robber barons that we've become with our own railroads yes you are now from a all the podcast owner. money we got yes indeed yeah that's true it's uh, look at that look how far we've come uh yeah but all i have to say to our listeners uh we appreciate you guys always listening to the podcast seriously like this is a, a fun thing for us to do and i've always maintained that we would do it even if no one were listening and as uh both of our partners can attest we often do uh but but yes it's uh it is nice to have people listening and uh, we really do appreciate it um and hopefully we will have a, a slightly different tune to sing about about more things in the in the relatively near future and uh also hope that all of you are doing well and that your your families are, are yes. safe. And, and if, well. I mean, as always, uh, feel free to reach out if there's ever something you really, really want us to talk about. If it's ever like the niche issues of your province or uh, municipal politics, we are probably, not always, but we're probably oh, like Manitoba going to cover it because... Yeah, like Manitoba's secret legislative sort of uh, storm that they had. Like, I don't really know what's going on with that. Maybe I'd like to know more. Reach out. I don't know. We could we could talk about it yeah, on the show. You didn't mention that when we were planning. Um, we could. Yeah. No, I forgot that, about it until that, just now. That would have been good content. Yeah, sorry. Last. Uh, 19 bills. Um, I'll get Bill Blakey on the horn <laughs> for next time. Uh, always 
Do you want them? We could probably get them. Feel free to reach out. What's the email address? <laughs> Shortpantspod at gmail.com. Something like that. Shortpantspod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, someone emailed us about their, their whiskey of choice a couple weeks ago, and I, I appreciated that. It was a nice little nice little notification. I, have, I haven't to get. found it and, yet. Uh, who, that, to that and listener, I, I say, say thank you. that if you are going to reach out um, about your whiskey of choice or your bourbon of choice, as the case may be, um, please cross-reference what's available in the Ottawa LCBOs um, because if it's not available, yeah, I don't <laughs> want to hear about treats I can't yeah, have. It's inconsequential to my life. <laughs> <laughs> They're better non-existent um, at that point. With to me. that, I will I will leave it there unless you have anything to add. Nope, that's it. Thanks again. Uh, like I said, for listening, uh, it, it really is uh, is a treat to keep doing this show, and uh, we do appreciate you. Please leave it. Please leave a review on iTunes. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> All right, that will do it for the boys in short pants this week. Bye bye.